This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. BC holds the line on hospitalizations. So let's bend the curve, not bend the rules this weekend. Proof social distancing is working. Major changes in Vancouver's crown jewel. If you see that a park is crowded, don't go in. Don't add to the problem. Why cars are being banned from Stanley Park. And some say less traffic should mean lower rates. We think the province should do everything they possibly can to try to save people some money. Growing calls for ICBC to give you a break with fewer cars on the road. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We are learning more tonight about a BC man in his 40s who died from coronavirus. His death of key, his death of key concern at today's provincial health briefing. We learned BC has 25 new cases for a total now of 1,291 and four new deaths, all of those involving seniors. But the victim in his 40s who succumbed to the disease did so alone in his home. Keith Baldry has more on the questions that's raising and why where the man worked is also a concern. You know, we're in for a bit of a ride on this. COVID-19 continues its own journey through this province, but today's case numbers were somewhat encouraging. The number of hospitalizations declined for the second straight day to 138. And the number of patients in intensive care also dropped a bit to 66. Meanwhile, the number of recovered cases continues to climb to more than 800. It's not going to be able to go back to 100% where we were at, you know, in January or at Christmas time where we were able to celebrate and come together until we have uh, uh, either enough people in the population that are immune to this, which we absolutely don't want to happen all at once because that means a number of people getting sick and overwhelming of our health care system. But there are more questions about the death of a 40-year-old man first reported yesterday. Global News has learned he worked as a residential support worker in a Richmond facility for developmentally challenged young adults, many of whom live in group homes, some of which are now the focus of special attention from public health authorities. Well, I know there are an, an, a number of small clusters of cases in, uh, in, in some of the group homes. And yes, that um, Vancouver Coastal has been working with those particular homes um, to ensure that uh, transmission is stopped as much as possible and to test people who, are, um, who have been exposed and to facilitate people isolating who have been exposed. Both Dr. Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix issued strong requests on two fronts today. First, no in-person gatherings at religious ceremonies this weekend. When we know that this virus continues to circulate in our communities, coming together of even small groups can be very problematic. And another strong request, the weather may be nice this weekend, but don't travel. Let's enjoy the, uh, as much as we can under these circumstances what we have here and the many blessings we have here, but let's enjoy them uh, uh, without traveling and uh, that there be no, um, no uh, non-essential travel. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more 
on the death of that care worker who was in his Mm -hmm. 40s. And Keith, what are you learning about why he wasn't in hospital? Yeah, it's interesting. The coroner's investigating, but I can tell you now, I've just learned there's a second investigation about to begin. Health authorities are very troubled with his experience in the healthcare system. He tested positive for COVID-19, but he was also called 911. He was visited by uh, medical crews who examined him. And the, one of the questions this investigation is going to try to determine, why wasn't he taken to hospital? There's plenty of room in hospitals right now. There's more than 4,000 beds have been vacated for people uh, with uh, COVID-19. So that's one of the answer, one of the questions they're going to try to get to the bottom of not second guessing anything here just uh, with this unusual death him being so young not in a care home not an elderly person and dying even though he'd come in contact at least twice with the health care system that's mm-hmm. a mystery that they hope to solve yeah definitely need to understand what happened there all right thanks for that mm-hmm. keith well bc is showing some good signs in the covid19 fight the picture isn't nearly as positive across the rest of the country Canada-wide, the number of cases is closing in on 18,000 with more than 400 deaths. That as the federal and provincial governments race to procure PPE and other desperately needed medical equipment. Aaron MacArthur reports. It's become a common sight. The Premier of Ontario taking delivery of personal protective equipment. The photo op highlighting a retooled auto parts plant Tuesday. Meanwhile, the city of Toronto forced to throw out $200,000 worth of defective masks distributed to long-term care homes. We can't count on other countries. We need the federal government to come through on their commitments. Cases continue to climb. More than 13,000 in Ontario and Quebec, with more than 300 deaths. New modelling in Quebec showing somewhere in the range of 1,200 deaths by the end of April. We will give them the best information. In Alberta, the economic fallout continues to be a worst-case scenario. Jason Kenney suggesting one in four Albertans will be out of work by the time this crisis is over. Ask people to be prepared for uh, what can be some very challenging numbers as we look at, at the perspective damage that this virus could still do. One area of the economy that is pivoting is manufacturing. The Prime Minister announcing B.C. companies like Arcteryx will produce medical gowns and Starfish Medical will be part of a consortium producing 30,000 ventilators. We have worked extremely hard to step up both on our procurement of PPEs but mostly uh, on increasing the Canadian production of personal protective equipment and materials like ventilators and testing kits. The next item for the federal government, getting the wage subsidy passed through the House of Commons. Draft legislation is in the hands of the opposition. No date for a sitting has been announced. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The city of Surrey is reopening a recently decommissioned recreation centre to help the city's homeless during the COVID-19 crisis. The city is teaming up with Fraser Health to set up the North Surrey Rec Centre as a temporary emergency response centre. It will have up to 110 safe spaces separated between the facility's two rinks. It'll be staffed 24-7 and available by referral only for those most at risk. The city is hoping it will take pressure off existing shelters and support physical distancing. During this time of social isolation and working from home, many British Columbians are driving a lot less, but we're still paying the same for our car insurance. So will the huge reduction in vehicle volume translate into a break on insurance bills? Richard Zussman reports. 
Fewer cars, fewer crashes. And that's having an impact on ICBC. There's a silver lining to this really tragic and terrible situation, which is that accidents are down. So I've asked for ICBC to look at those trends and to provide a report back to government. It's unclear how much savings there could be for the public insurer. But unlike in the United States, where all state insurance has refunded about 15% of premiums, the savings here haven't been passed on. ICBC and the government should consider offering refunds, or at the very least, some sort of clawback in regards to the rates that we're paying presently. Drivers planning on leaving their car in the garage through the pandemic could also consider cancelling their insurance policy. But as it stands right now, there's a fee for that, Plus, you need to get new license plates and pay for those once the pandemic is over. There are a number of people who, uh, because of loss of employment, may need to uh, put their insurance on pause or stop their insurance. Stopping that insurance could lead to some pretty big savings. For a couple in the Fraser Valley with two vehicles normally commuting into Vancouver, insurance for the year costs nearly $3,900. Cancel that for three months and sign back on in July and you'll pay $63 in fees. All added up, it means a savings of $910 during the pandemic. I would uh, suggest to the extent it's possible, uh, uh, waiting uh, for a couple of weeks to give us a chance to uh, have in place the systems to allow them to do that, hopefully without any charge. The province has provided some immediate relief, allowing customers to defer ICBC payments for up to three months. But the Taxpayers' Federation says there's more the province should do. We aren't driving to and from work every single day of the week. So obviously that means they should be allowed to change their insurance down to recreational. Those recreational rates are cheaper. Just one savings EB is exploring before the province officially announces changes in the coming weeks. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, Vancouver's crown jewel is about to be a lot quieter. As of noon tomorrow, Stanley Park will be closed to vehicle traffic. That decision designed to give cyclists, joggers and pedestrians more room to social distance. Nadia Stewart joins us live from Stanley Park with more on how it's going to work. Nadia? Yeah, Sophie, with cars out of the picture, the hope is that people will be able to continue to adhere to physical distancing. The park board says so far folks are following the rules and they say they want to keep it that way. Typically, a beautiful spring day would make Stanley Park a magnet for visitors. But this is as busy as it got Tuesday morning and the park board is looking to slow things down even more. Stanley Park will be made car free. We're doing it to reduce congestion in the park, to provide space on the roads within the park. And to ease congestion on the seawall, leaving that space for pedestrians, while cyclists are being asked to stay off the seawall and use the road instead. The park itself remains open, even though 1,600 warnings have been issued over the last week, reminding people of the need to maintain their physical distance. And we are finding compliance, but we need to do more. A lack of compliance forced Metro Vancouver to close two parks, along with parking lots at three parks in the region. Over concerns, too many cars were there. Two weeks later, and Chief Administrative Officer Jared Dombrovoni says people are getting the message for the most part. But what we are starting to see in some of the parks are overcrowding problems. If people can't follow those very simple rules, we will have to close more parks. In an effort to keep that from happening, some municipalities have introduced one-way walking. The park board says they are considering doing the same in Stanley Park if people do not respect the two-meter rule.
We would consider closing parks if necessary. Uh, that's highly uh, unlikely at this stage, uh, but we will always take our lead from our uh, health authorities. Seeing a lot more people out this evening taking in the cherry blossoms. Uh, now, the park board is also asking joggers to be extra mindful. They have received some complaints about joggers not giving pedestrians a wide enough berth. So they're asking joggers to be mindful of that and also to reconsider the time of day that they head out for a run. Back to you, Sophie. Nadia Stewart in Stanley Park. Nadia, thank you. A prominent Vancouver lawyer is sounding an alarm tonight over the safety of breathalyzers in use in B.C. As Romina Dea reports, he says the design of the device puts people at risk of contracting COVID-19. Paul Doroshenko says roadside breath tests pose a huge safety risk to police officers and to citizens being asked to blow. So there's a significant threat for anybody who's asked to blow because you're potentially inhaling whatever anybody else blew through that device. And that's the danger here. Now, of course, the other danger is to the police officer because the police officer is pulling somebody over and they have no idea whether or not they are a person who is shedding the virus. And when the individual goes to blow, the police officer is holding it with their hand, right? The hand is right there. You blow, it exhausts out the top. So you're talking about all over the area where the police officer is standing. And then what happens to it? It lands back down on the device, on the police officer's hands, on the police officer's clothing. The Vancouver lawyer went public on YouTube. He says he has heard from concerned police officers. Even though the mouthpiece is replaced for every person, Doroshenko believes it's still a risk. So what are you supposed to do if you get pulled over? Refusing to blow is a criminal offense, even if you've had nothing to drink. Doroshenko believes the government should change the law, adding that police can still conduct impaired driving investigations without using the roadside breath test. We are in a state of emergency in British Columbia right now, and the Solicitor General is issuing regulations, and he could issue regulations to change it so the police don't have to use one of these devices. Maybe they give a seven-day driving prohibition instead of a 24-hour driving prohibition. The, the government has the authority right now to do that. Uh, they know how to use the, uh, the equipment uh, properly. Uh, they have in place uh, safety protocols. Every detachment has to have protocols in place and that uh, they, they work within those protocols to ensure that uh, equipment is used safely and properly. Penalties for refusing to blow are severe. A $2,000 fine, 15-month driving prohibition, and a criminal record. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, they say there's no use crying over spilled milk, but what about wasted milk? Customers are demanding more, but dairy farmers have to dump their excess. Why the supply chain is failing in just over a minute. A new twist on the old school bus as teachers hit the road to reconnect with rural students later on the news hour. And what happens when the earth goes quiet? How the COVID slowdown is helping predict the chance of a major quake. Right now, though, you can add B.C.'s dairy farmers to the growing list of sectors hit hard by the COVID-19 crisis. Paul Johnson explains why they're now dumping milk down the drain. 
with a herd of 500 Holsteins. The Janssen's family's Nicomackle Farms is one of the biggest dairy producers in Surrey. We just produce raw milk, uh, which is transported to the local processors and goes into a wide variety of products. The family's been in business here since 1957. This spring, though, there's a new and unsettling issue to deal with. Because of COVID-19 shutdowns, BC's dairies are producing more milk than there is currently demand for. When there's no customers, different avians have to be found for that milk. Even a city slicker who's never been on a farm probably knows the cows still need to be milked. And with such a perishable commodity, a stalled supply chain means some of it has to be dumped. Having a uh, food service sector curtailed significantly, no tourists in town to feed, uh, and right now about 3% of our production in BC is, uh, is being disposed of on farm. Jeremy Dunn is the general manager of the BC Dairy Association and says under the province's supply management system, the dumping of excess milk is regulated and gets rotated through different farms. Some of it goes to a biogas generator for renewable energy. Some of it stays on the farms and gets used as fertilizer. As much as farmers hate to dump milk, this allows them to keep their herd size and their production going for when demand finally comes back. Oh, it won't feel good uh, to dump perfectly good product that you've produced. That'll be a definitely, uh, definitely not a good feeling. And I don't look forward to that day if it does come. In Surrey, Paul Johnson, Global News. And coming up, a Canadian biotech firm tackles COVID-19. How Abcelera is accelerating the search for an effective treatment. Also tonight, why there is cautious optimism in New York's COVID hotspots. Two lanes north and one lane south over here at the Lionsgate Bridge tonight. You're going to see minimal delays westbound along Georgia Street and through the Stanley Park Causeway and just some minor congestion on the Cloverleaf out of north and west Vancouver. Sussex Insurances has auto plan offices inside Real Canadian Superstores and Walmarts throughout B.C. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. Open 9 to 9 every day. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. The integrated homicide investigation team is now in charge of an investigation into a murder in Surrey overnight. Mountie say a man was found just before 1 a.m. near 138 A Street and 88th Avenue. Investigators haven't released the name or age of the victim. Police say they are looking into a motive, but it appears to have been targeted. There's no risk to the public, according to police. This is Surrey's second homicide of the year. More than 100 kilograms of methamphetamine has been seized at a lower mainland port. On February 4th, Canada Border Service agencies, or agents acting on a tip scanned a container from Mexico at Tawasson's high-tech container examination facility and discovered the drugs there. Later that month, the RCMP Federal Serious and Organized Crime Unit tracked the container as it was moved to a Surrey warehouse. They executed a search warrant arresting four men and seizing 106 kilograms of drugs worth an estimated $13.5 million. The four men were charged with importation and possession of a controlled substance and have since been released. 
A Vancouver biotech company has partnered with one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies to develop a treatment for COVID-19. Abcelera is working with Eli Lilly to develop a new drug based on antibodies found in the blood of people who've recovered from the infection. As Ted Chernecki reports, they're hoping to hit the target or hit their target months before a vaccine is discovered. This pandemic has triggered a worldwide called arms, the weapon of choice, something, anything to stop or at least slow the virus. Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and Bill Gates, Microsoft's co-founder, have already committed millions to research. And when Prime Minister Trudeau made Canada's $192 million commitment, he mentioned by name a specific Vancouver company. Our government will be signing an agreement with Vancouver-based Abcelera to support their work on drugs to prevent and treat COVID-19. Tucked away near Vancouver City Hall, half a world away from where this viral battle started, are researchers who, like everyone else, want to end it. Two years ago, Abcelera was given a $35 million grant from the U.S. military to repurpose its research for a pandemic. We have spent the last two years preparing our platform for a pandemic response. And because of that, Abcelera is positioned uh, to take a leading role in the world of finding a solution. Here they search for antibodies naturally produced by someone exposed to COVID-19. They further refine that search, grabbing elite antibodies that are particularly effective against COVID. That's quite different from a vaccine that can only be given to healthy patients with ad hoc results. And instead of uh, having uh, the immune system in an uncontrolled way make, make many uh, different antibodies, we search for those that are most potent and that have already protected someone and helped them to recover from disease. We find the DNA sequence, we scale that up, and then we can deliver a very well-defined and potent product to patients. What sets Abcelera's research apart is speed. If they can develop a treatment, it could be handed over to Big Pharma to be mass-produced possibly as early as this July with widespread availability this fall. In theory, the bug-to-drug timeline would be months, not years. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Words of encouragement for Britain's ailing leader. And I'm sure he'll come through this. The latest on Boris Johnson's treatment for coronavirus. And Dr. Bonnie Henry's hair. How today's COVID-19 briefing took a bizarre turn. When Logan- this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Traffic is moving better both ways over here at the Patello Bridge after earlier delays due to a major incident over by the Queensboro Bridge. Just pockets of volume now south on McBride through the Queens Park stretch. At Cremat Collision and Autoglass, the safety and well-being of their employees, customers, and community is their top priority. For essential vehicle repair information, please visit Cremat.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. As the number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 rises rapidly across the United States, there are signs that some of the hardest-hit cities could be flattening the curve. Global's Reggie Cicchini reports. 
As New York State accelerates its climb towards the top of the curve, the number of people who died in a 24-hour period spiked by more than 700. That is the largest single-day increase. And while the death toll rose, fewer patients were brought to hospitals and intubated, leading to cautious optimism. We are not experiencing the worst-case scenario right now, thank God. It's a similar story in Louisiana. The state has more than 15,000 positive cases, yet hospital admissions are dropping. We're hopeful that we're seeing the beginning of the flattening of the curve. Some health experts suggest social distancing is working. We are seeing that people are sticking at home, they're adhering to these messages, and there is less mortality, and it's going to go down faster. New models are trending towards a sharply lower death toll nationwide and show several cities could be on the brink of the apex. We should not assume that it's going to come later. Right now, what we are seeing from our data, it's coming earlier than what we expected. Michigan's peak could be within the next two weeks. The state has roughly 20,000 confirmed cases. Detroit's convention center is now becoming a COVID center. We hope to be done by the 9th of April. Across the United States, 22 field hospitals are opening up as they prepare for an influx of patients. We're mobilizing uh, in the same way that we mobilize to go to war. And even if the numbers slowly begin to fall, health experts warn there are still plenty of unknowns ahead. Uh, I likened it to the eye of a hurricane where just because you're seeing the eye, you have to remember the other half is still to come. And scientists are cautioning that a peak does not signal a sudden decline in cases and are warning that a high rate of illness and death across the United States is likely. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson remains in intensive care in London tonight, suffering from the effects of COVID-19. He is not on a ventilator, but he is using oxygen as part of his treatment. It comes as the UK reports its highest daily death toll since the start of the crisis with 786 people dying in 24 hours. Global's Redmond Shannon reports. Directly across from the seat of power, the hospital where Boris Johnson is being treated in intensive care. He remains stable overnight. He's receiving standard oxygen treatment and breathing without any assistance. He's not required any mechanical ventilation or non-invasive respiratory support. The UK, like most countries, is already reeling from the novel coronavirus. The news about the Prime Minister further proof that this disease doesn't discriminate. It is quite worrying for, for the country, for people in general, because uh, um, what's going to happen? He's the leader, right, of the country. His opponents and allies eager to wish him well. Boris is a very tough, very resilient, very fit person. I know that from facing him on the tennis court, and I'm sure he'll come through this. This is uh, a set of circumstances that government hasn't had to deal with uh, before. Namely, a national and a global crisis that has incapacitated a prime minister. Johnson nominated Foreign Minister Dominic Raab to deputise in his absence, but the UK does not have a written constitution to specify a line of succession. Cabinet would be bound to try and pick uh, an acting prime minister while then going through the long process of picking a new party leader and prime minister. Raab didn't say what would happen if Johnson's condition worsens and the cabinet needs to implement new policy. Frankly, the direction, the instructions he's given, very clear plans. So we're, we're all focused uh, with a unity of purpose. During such a crisis, even Johnson's staunchest opponents will want him back in 10 Downing Street as soon as possible.
Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. For families with children who have special needs, rules of physical distancing mean they can't access the support staff and the services they need. Even worse, parents are at risk of losing the very funding they rely on for that support. Catherine Urquhart has reaction from families and how the government is now promising to help. Raising and educating a child while in the middle of a pandemic is super challenging. And when that child has a disability, it can be especially daunting. It's already a really stressful um, situation. And uh, yeah, I just, we feel really forgotten um, by the government and by the ministry. Amanda Flintjar's son has autism and like most families, can't access help due to social distancing requirements. For her and others, that could mean their therapy funds expire. She has launched a change.org petition calling on the Ministry of Children and Family Development to ease funding dates and restrictions. It's a very small administrative change that would give some uh, immediate relief to our families. Um, And it just seems to be falling on deaf ears um, so far. So I'm just really hopeful that the petition that I started um, will maybe show that, uh, you know, we're still here and we still need some help. It's not just parents of kids on the autism spectrum that are struggling. Stephanie Richard's son has Down syndrome. She works in blood services. Our kids are already far behind in the school system and receiving less uh, limited supports and struggling to stay on track. And with these closures and not really being sure at this point how we're even going to access education is definitely a big concern weighing on us. Late Tuesday, the province announced it's establishing an emergency relief support fund for children and youth with special needs. It will provide $225 a month for three months to eligible families. Also, autism funding requirements will be eased, allowing more money to be used for equipment and in-home learning. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Teachers from a rural school in BC's Caribou region have gone the extra mile, so to speak, to visit their students. Staff from Big Lake Elementary School just north of Williams Lake drove for three hours yesterday to see all 30 students from the school. They arrived at each pupil's driveway to drop off lesson materials and belongings they had left behind at the school. The principal and teacher, Holly Zurek, says staff and students are like one big family. They were excited. A lot of the a lot of the parents um, got really emotional um, because uh, it, this is this working in a, a little rural school is a, it's a special relationship that you get to have with families. Now, in case you're wondering, teachers kept at least two meters apart on the bus, which they decorated to lift everyone's spirits, and they brought bubble gum as a special treat. <laughs> What a great gift. (laughs) All right, today is Green Shirt Day. Two years ago, Logan Boulay succumbed to his injuries from the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. His organs were donated to improve the lives of six people. And that set off a wave of organ donation that continues today. 90% of Canadians say they support organ and tissue donation, but... Only 23% have actually registered. Registration is easy. It only takes two minutes. For information on how you can sign up, go to globalnews.ca slash greenshirtday2020. And thank you 
for registering. We appreciate it. And up ahead, a surprising benefit of the COVID slowdown. The background seismic noise has, has really decreased. Why this is really helping the people who study our risk of a major earthquake. Also ahead, waste management is a job for superheroes. Making smiles part of this essential service. We want to give a shout out to our BC Healthcare Heroes. Tag pictures and stories with hashtag BC Healthcare Heroes or email BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca to share with Global News Hour at 6. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Another side effect of the COVID-19 pandemic no one could have predicted is giving some scientists a big leg up in their research. Linda Aylesworth shows us how the drastic reduction in noise due to those stay-at-home rules is a major boon for seismologists. Hear that? Global self-isolation in the effort to defeat COVID-19 has made the world a quieter place in more than one way. The earth is shaking less because there's less um, traffic, there's less construction, there are fewer trains, fewer airplanes or helicopters. You can see it on Natural Resources Canada's seismographs, which are super sensitive. And they record not only earthquakes, but they record wind noise and wave noise. And the vibrations we humans cause. It's called background seismic noise. That it's been greatly reduced is a boon for seismologists. So suddenly you can start seeing smaller and smaller um, seismic events that were being hidden before. Like tiny minus two magnitude earthquakes. Being able to detect them can help identify faults and map out earth structures. In volcanic areas, those really tiny earthquakes uh, sometimes are telling you about the movement of magma uh, deep beneath the surface. It's not like that background noise never takes a break. It usually does at night or on major holidays when we all slow down. But this is uh, too, too much greater extent and it's all around the world at the same time. So um, this is unprecedented. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. She had a fresh new do, and a lot of people noticed. Coming up after Christie's forecast, Dr. Bonnie Henry's apology about her lovely new locks still to come. Not that she needed to apologize. No, but <laughs> such is the world we live in nowadays. She yes. had to at least acknowledge it. Exactly. All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon uh, in North Vancouver, and it is definitely getting spring-like. Christy? Absolutely spring-like. Not a cloud in the sky almost today. A little chilly right now. You see I have a jacket on. Um, we did have a cold northwest breeze across the region, but generally if you were able to get out of that wind, it was nice. Let's start things off with a look at your photos. As always, thank you for sharing your photos. Look at this one. Big thank you to all the essential workers. Thank you to Ali and Adrian for making that on the sidewalk in front of their house and lifting spirits. Now, I moved the name out of the way. Thank you, Dennis, for sending this because this is so neat. It's spring. You can see the blossoms above 
Yes, Christmas lights. It's neat to see those two combined. And one last one for you, just showing the sending love. So there's this big heart looking out over the Okanagan Falls area. Thank you to Karen Sinclair. She's the principal at the local elementary school there. Share your photos with us. Just send it to weatherwindow at globaltv.com. And we love to share what's going on in your community. So the gusty winds were right across the province today with 40 to 50 kilometer an hour winds, some areas up to 60. We are going to see a change along the north coast, and that's going to shift a little further south into the central regions by Thursday morning but for the most part southern BC can expect maybe a little bit of cloud cover but generally dry conditions for the next little while so it's mainly the north coast that will be affected late tomorrow otherwise sunshine across much of the province temperatures hitting double digits in southern BC and for our region as is always the case in this type of scenario we will see a range in temperature 12 to 16 degrees away from the water in Abbotsford some areas up to 17 and that's Thursday and warming up as we head into the weekend great stretch of weather that's for sure so I really urge everyone to get outside and enjoy that but make sure you're still keeping your physical distance here's your central windows weather window just as these guys are social distancing these are little fox kits thank you to Mike for sending that to us all right you guys yes definitely get outside just make sure you keep it away from (laughs) others maybe just to walk Mm -hmm. up and down your street or enjoy the warmth on your deck even wildlife are listening to uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry. Thanks, Christine. <laughs> Stay in the den. All right, thanks very much. Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry has become such a popular fixture in B.C. She felt compelled today to address some rumors about her personal appearance. Dr. Henry acknowledged the chatter about her hairstyle, which seems to have changed slightly. She wanted to make sure everyone knows she has not broken her own rules. I did want to add one other thing that um, that has been brought to my attention, and they say the the number one thing not to do in a pandemic is your own hair, and I will say believe them. And uh, my apologies to Lindsay, my my hairdresser, but I did do some of my own tinkering with my hair in the last couple of days. So yes, I did not go to the hairdressers, and um, hopefully it will settle down soon. She did a really good job. I thought so, too. And (laughs) listen, we're all going to be apologizing for our haircuts in the next couple of weeks or months here if this drags on, wouldn't you say? Look away. Yeah, we're all going to look like we're from the 70s pretty soon. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. And soon we'll know everybody's real hair color, too. Yeah, it's coming in, that's for sure. That's right. I'm a blonde. I know it's. (laughs) you wouldn't have thought that. but No, it's uh, never been a secret when it comes to me. Uh, or Squire, for that matter. Uh, what's coming up in sports there, friend? All right. Quinn Hughes and his brother Jack, who, of course, plays for New Jersey, are riding out the pandemic with mom and dad. Uh, we're in our home at Canton, Michigan, so um, we've been here for about two weeks now. Besides showing us basement ping pong, Quinn will also show you his best momento from his rookie year. Also tonight, trash talkers, a pair of waste management employees with a superpower to make you smile.
Stuck at home during the COVID crisis, it's good to have a sibling. Better than that, even as a sibling and a ping pong table. Here is Squire with the sports. That is true. I have neither. Therefore, <laughs> my nights are sad. Uh, during the NHL's pandemic postponement, some of the Canucks players have stayed in Vancouver, but a lot have gone back to their off-season homes or for the younger players, their family homes. And if you're wondering where Quinn Hughes is, he is back at his parents' house in Michigan with his brother Jack, who of course is also a rookie with New Jersey, and his younger brother Luke, who is an NHL prospect. Now, Quinn Hughes and his brother took to NHL.com today to give fans a tour of the home, and they went into one room, which is actually his dad's office, and in that office is all of Quinn and Jack's NHL memorabilia so far. And Quinn's favorite piece? Well, we'll let him show you. I think... I think this jersey is probably my favorite. It's the one I got from the All-Star game, and everyone on my team signed it. I don't know if you guys can see. Yeah, yeah we see it. Um, I don't know, just to have, like, Wayne Gretzky as your coach and get to know him a bit and get to know other guys in your division that you're usually playing against. It was pretty fun, so. Um, and having Petey and Marky there, too, made it, you know, really fun, too. So that was, that was probably probably not the highlight of my year, but it was it's right up there. I don't know. Probably been a better idea if he sat down and told us that, but he was going down to play ping pong. Uh, the CFL was supposed to start on June 11th. Now they say they will aim for early July. The thing about the CFL, unlike a lot of leagues, they can't really push their season beyond the current date of the Grey Cup, November 21st, because playing football on the prairies in December is not going to happen. But even starting in July is not guaranteed. You know, the virus is in charge, and... Uh... And anyone who says differently, I don't think they're, uh, they're figured out just how serious this is. The CFL is willing to wait until the government says it's all clear. But remember, one of the other problems this league has is a lot of the players live in the U.S. And getting them up here will not be easy. As well, recruiting American players has been drastically altered. Although Canadian players will be easier to get. The draft is the one thing that's going to happen in the, in on April 30th, and then um, you're always looking for players. So our personnel departments are still always working, regardless of what's going on. Rick Campbell, of course, doesn't know when he'll make his Lions coaching debut. Nobody does, but he does feel that BC helped improve itself in free agency back in February. We're, we have a lot of good veteran players and a good core group of guys, and so. Uh, um, we think that'll help us out through this tough time is that we have guys that have a lot of guys that have been there, done that, played in the CFL. And it's not just the coach that was happy with free agency. So was the quarterback. Free agency seems like a lifetime ago, but um, I do remember being very excited about the moves that we had made, um, you know, bolstering our offensive line. And I do think that we bolstered our defensive line as well. Um, you know, and I think obviously a big change was in our coaching staff. I think bringing Rick Campbell in and, and uh, the guidance that he provides. But that guidance has to be applied in different ways, at least for the foreseeable future. The good news with technology is you can... Um talk and have online meetings and things like that so uh, we're gonna like I said we're gonna try to keep keep busy and uh, just be ready to go whenever whenever they tell us we're we're good to go the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have Tom Brady now they have a new look this is the unveil of their new uniforms it's a throwback to the ones they had when they won the Super Bowl in 2002 apparently Tom Brady couldn't model for them but his number 12 has made an appearance in this video 
The International Olympic Committee says any athlete who qualified for the 2020 Games, that of course have now been pushed to 2021, will get to keep their spot. They won't have to re-qualify. That'll affect around 6,500 athletes who had already qualified in various sports. Now, some qualifications still need to happen, but if you were in for 220, you are now in for 2021. And speaking of in, Andrea is in tonight with Global News at 11. Anne? Thanks, Squire. Nearly 100 BC inmates have been granted early release from jail in a move to help COVID-19 from spreading. Plus, an upscale community outside Victoria is temporarily relaxing zoning bylaws during the pandemic to allow campers and RVs on residential property to be used by family members for self-isolation. And a Richmond High School student is helping to combat the shortage of personal protective equipment at U.S. hospitals by printing that, and shipping face shields to doctors in need. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie. All right. Thanks for that. And up next, superheroes on a mission to trash COVID-19. Stay with us. Night. A couple of sanitation workers in Abbotsford are going the extra mile to make people feel a little better during these difficult times. Brad Sanquist and Brian White are making their rounds dressed as Spider-Man and Captain America. They say with all the negative news these days, they wanted to put some smiles on some faces. Everybody likes a superhero, right? And, uh... We just want to do our part and put smiles on faces and uh, joy to people's lives in this chaotic time. Good job, guys! There's a lot of joy that I see that we're bringing, you know. We just intended to bring a couple of smiles and I think it's working. You we're bet gonna, it is. We're going to take coronavirus out with the trash. That's right. Uh, okay, now to those other superheroes, our BC healthcare heroes on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. And of course, we here at Global BC want to thank our healthcare heroes. We've been asking you for your nominations, and tonight's is for those working at Public Health Laboratory of the BC CDC. This one comes from Brenda Wilway, who is very proud of her nephew, Trevor Hurd. He considers himself a tiny part of the team that has been putting their own health on the line working long hours, testing at the beginning of this crisis and still testing now, as well as helping other institutions get testing labs set up. Trevor is also spending long hours away from his home and his family. His wife and two young sons have temporarily moved, so he doesn't have to worry about possibly bringing the virus home to them. Trevor, your family tells us you are their hero. They are extremely proud of you, and they cannot wait to give you a huge hug. And if you have a healthcare hero to nominate, the email address is on your screen, bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. And please remember to include a picture or two and some information about why they are your hero. Your kids are going to be so excited to hug you, Trevor. All right. Uh, uh, the gang's all here. Christy, more sunshine on the way. Mm-hmm. Lots of sunshine on the way. So plenty to be able to get outside, but of course we need to keep physical distancing for quite a while still. Or quite a while. For a while still. <laughs> you got it. As long as Dr. Henry tells us to. That's right. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all.